Hi, this is Helena Brooke, already wearing tank tops and shorts here in sunny Arizona in 2022. And you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 118. This season, we've been exploring the many aspects of freedom. We've talked about romantic and sexual freedom, freedom from addiction, freedom from want and fear, and other aspects of this very many-faceted concept and experience. And in our featured interview today, we have Helena Brooke, who approaches freedom from another angle, and that is our freedom, or the lack thereof, to work within our state systems to get important bills passed in the legislature and how, you know, the, the workings behind that. She's coming from it from the perspective of a counselor or of a therapist. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting. I definitely learned a lot in our conversation. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. And considering the kinds of crazy bills that are getting passed by state legislatures, we really need this information desperately. Yes. This podcast is sponsored by Conspiracy of the Month. Have you grown bored or complacent with the quality of conspiracy theories being shared on social media? Have you thought about floating some theories of your own but don't know where to start? Well, we have the monthly subscription box for you. Conspiracy of the Month will send you a curated box chock full of deepfake video clips, pre-written tweets, and hashtags that would make any Russian troll farm green with envy. Share with your friends, enemies, frenemies, and soon-to-be estranged family members. Sign up for your monthly subscription box by leaving a bag of cash in Locker 2016 at the Port Authority bus station in Manhattan. And now, back to our podcast. I'm very happy to welcome back to the Leftscape, Helena Brooke. Helena Brooke practices as a therapist in the Phoenix area and can often be found doing advocacy for clients and the therapy professions with like-minded comrades, sometimes while crafting. As a counselor and advocate, she has a passion for supporting clients and clinicians alike in moving past relational ruptures and distressing experiences. We spoke with Helena just about a year ago on episode 97, Therapy, Activism, and Reclaiming Freedom. So welcome back, Helena. Thanks so much, Robin. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you for sure. It's always great talking with you. So this is going to be a little bit of a different interview in the, in the fact that I really would like you to guide the conversation a bit more than my questions because, you know, when you got in touch... You said you wanted to talk about advocating for the passage of bills, uh, mostly in Arizona, as someone who is not a lobbyist. And this is something I know very little about and would love to learn. So I know one of the things you mentioned is the interstate compact. Do you want to tell us about that or is that the yeah. place to start? Yeah, I'd love to jump into that. But I feel like, um, I guess since we last spoke, was I was I in a board position with the Arizona Counseling Association back then. What month was that? That was 
was it like February, right? 21? It was March of 21. So it was just, yeah, five a year. So I think I might've just joined the board. Um, So I feel like I would be remiss not to say that, um, you know, while I know that like, this is the Leftscape podcast, I just want to put out there um, because I'm I'm hoping that a lot of um, colleagues hear this, that, that, my position at this point, because I'm the president-elect of the Arizona Counseling Association, is specifically whatever is in the best interest of colleagues and whatever is in the best interest of the clients that we serve. And so it's not it's not really a partisan position. And so I just wanted to I just wanted to throw that out there real quick in case anybody was wondering, because pretty much when we're in leadership, we kind of we kind of stick to that stuff. And usually it's pretty aligned with my personal values, which I probably won't talk about. But typically, whatever is for the client's best interest in the end and the profession itself is is what we push for and so the compact is part of that so yeah hope that was okay thank you for all that no absolutely thank (laughs) you for all that and and one of the things that i want people to know too is that we you know are welcoming of people of all political persuasions and it's good to it's good to have an interchange about all this yeah so that's good Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, like, I just really appreciate you giving us the opportunity, Robin, because like, especially since our association does not have a paid lobbyist, you know, you and I have known each other since what, 2006 or something in sort of activism circles, right? And so this is sort of my first run at trying to help get a bill through. And I think there's there's been a big learning experience, but also I'm hoping that your listeners can can get both an understanding of why interstate compacts are important and also like why it sometimes really sucks when you're just trying to get things done grassroots style and you don't have someone who you can pay to go do your bidding, even if you have like a really beautiful bill that everybody likes. Okay. So would so, you explain the, the, what the bill, the basic of the yeah, thing about the bill just to start? Yeah. yeah. So, so an interstate okay. compact is a lot of your listeners will probably know kind of that if you are seeing a, a therapist or a counselor in the state you're in and you leave the state to travel or you move or something like that, your counselor might not be able to see you. Depends which state it is. And it's so different from state to state. I think if my client goes to Florida up to 15 times a year, I can I can still have a virtual session with them. But if my client goes to New Jersey, it might be a totally different story. Um, forget it with California. You know, so it's it's kind of chaotic, right? And so just some practical reasons that that's a problem is like, you know, if, if someone has had really bad trauma and they finally, you know, warmed up and trust a therapist and feel safe and they're making progress and then they have to move, they shouldn't have to start over, right? But, you know, continuity would be really, really great for that. If people are, you know, flying home or to see family for the holidays or because someone's fallen ill, having your therapist in your corner so you can schedule an appointment and just navigate those things together would be life-changing. And even the Department of Defense, wants us to have this compact because if a counselor's uh, partner is in the military and they get moved and stationed in another state and so the family has to move depending what state it is it could take like a year for somebody's license to transfer over and so that's half of a family's livelihood and that's a counselor's ability to be able to serve the public that's just completely gone during those transitions you know, and, and, and there, are, there are experts in various treatment modalities, um, people who want to collaborate with each other all across the country. And the fact that, you know, 
my clinical supervisor, for example, runs a really incredible strength-based practice for people who are neurodivergent. So mostly you think of like um, autism, ADHD, but also all sorts of learning disabilities, giftedness, highly sensitive people. And, and what he offers is super rare. And so he gets calls all the time from people out of state wanting services with people who are trained the way that his practice sort of works. And they can't have access to that. He has to say no to these people all the time. People who want to collaborate and coordinate care, if somebody goes out of state for intensive inpatient treatment somewhere and they want to come home and continue, you know, working with that therapist as they taper off of, you know, the treatment that they've been having, they can't. There's a, it just, it's, it's not just for counselors to be able to market our services. It's mostly so that clients can have continuity so that especially people who travel for work, like traveling nurses or people who drive, um, you know, commercial trucks, a lot of people have barriers to care enough as it is. And this compact would really alleviate that, at least for the states who opt in. Sure. So basically you're saying like if the person travels out of state and happens to be in another state while the session would happen, mm-hmm. that would not be allowed. Yeah. So like we could get okay. in trouble for, for providing that service, wow, even though, okay. yeah. And stuff that you wouldn't think of. And, um, and in the age of Zoom, that seems completely <laughs> Abs- absurd. Bizarre. Yeah. yeah, completely absurd. And the fact is that, you know, licensure requirements and things like that vary from state to state a little bit and some some ethical obligations vary a little bit, but most of the bones of it are pretty solid. And so prior to COVID hitting, the psychologists got a compact and I think like 26 states are participating. And the way compacts work is that, you know, if state A and state B are both involved, then you can see clients in each other's states. If state C hasn't signed on, then like it's still they're kind of separate. So states kind of have to opt in with everything with COVID and stuff. And this was in the works for a while, too. The American uh, Counseling Association decided to try to push a compact through and has the help of the National Center for Interstate Compacts, which is like a team of lawyers. And they're super helpful. Um, And because this has such... I guess it lands really well with people who are into like free market and competition and all of that stuff. You know, they started pitching it more in conservative states first off. So last year, the first two states got the compact. So like Georgia and Maryland, right? So they're in, we need eight more states in order for it to sort of be be in effect for the states that do opt in. But we want to have as much engagement as possible. And so right now, just to illustrate, let's see, I think it's uh, Maine, Um, New Hampshire, Virginia, North Carolina, West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Iowa, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Colorado have pending legislation. And it would have been Arizona as well, but I can get to that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see like those are kind of a little more conservative leaning states, right? For the most part. Yeah, a bunch of them are for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maryland, maybe not so much. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we, when we found out that this thing kind of had lift off, we were uh, sort of planning our strategy and trying to approach the state legislature for it because the state legislature has to pass it. This isn't like a federal thing. And so with the American Counseling Association and sort of like, a connection with our, our state regulatory board who like they don't lobby for things but our director is really great and she provides like education about how this stuff works and you know we kind of we we're like okay we're good like they don't object to it 
Um, it wouldn't create some sort of crazy workload for them. And um, we had a legislator who we worked really, really hard. We thought that we had someone. And I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name parties. But we thought we had it all sewn up in the fall. She met with us. Like, we got a yes. The the draft of the bill sort of went through legislative council, which is the people who draft bills here. So kind of they took the national one. They they drafted it. It went in a folder. It had, an, it had like a folder number. It had a drafter name. All these boring things. And we expected come January that like any day once the legislative session started, like we'd have a bill number and we could just do a little bit of like informal praise and like show up for it. And we were good. We thought we were home free. Right. That's where it gets crazy. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) You know, so. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's January and, you know, we're looking at all the different bills that are dropping and we're like, oh, like, you know, this community is getting attacked and this community is getting attacked and maybe this cool thing is happening, but we're watching them and we're like, where's our, where's our bill number guys? Like who, who's seen the bill number? And, you know, we're scrolling through nothing and then nothing and nothing. And finally our, our regulatory board director reached out. And again, she's not like, she's not a lobbyist. She doesn't, they don't take a position on this stuff, but you know, they kind of help with education and things like that. And I messaged her and I said, do we have a number? And she's like, I don't, I don't see a number. And then, you know, ultimately this Senator who, who had agreed to sponsor it got a message back saying that, Oh, you know, she's, she's going, you know, in some other directions and she has some other things on her plate pretty much. Um, is, is what we got. And we didn't get any more details mm-hmm. than that. And so we were like, what happened? And so we're scrambling in the 11th hour, trying to find someone making appointments at the house, making appointments at the state Senate, trying to figure out who, who can maybe take this on. And between people running for Congress and people not wanting to offend the first Senator, we really didn't get lift off. Right. So we were all set to cut our losses and then something really weird happened. I don't know if I told you about this part where we got this like crazy. I don't think so. Okay. So we're getting all these no's and we're like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna reassemble for next year and we're not going to be on the first 10, which kind of sucks because we were really proud of our effort. All of a sudden another bill drops and it's the interstate compact for occupational therapists. Right. And so do you Um, know, should I explain what that is for people who might not know what an occupational therapist is? Yeah, I think I have a sense of it, but go ahead and right. describe so, it. So like, um, so they pretty much like, you know, I work with a lot of people with autism and ADHD and, you know, other stuff having to do with like, you know, whether it's executive function or just like sort of things that things that are a little bit more like concrete process stuff that, you know, occupational therapists are trained to sort of, you know, support clients through. So while we do things like psychotherapy, they do things like sort of help people manage in a more tangible way, the specific goings on in their life or their job or their work, their school, stuff like that. Um, And we work really closely with each other. Like our communities tend to work really well with each other. So I put some feelers out, you know, and I said, hey, like, do you know, let's talk to them. Meanwhile, I sent their, the text of their bill back to the people at the National Center for Interstate Compacts. And I said, hey, like, you know, can you guys run through this real quick and just like, give me the quick and dirty of what's different between our compact and their compact. And, you know, as I'm waiting for people to call me back in the OT world who are in leadership there, I get a notice back from the the interstate compact people. And they were like, listen, like, these are the same bill. It's the same 
exact bill. 20 some pages, I think it had like 40 words that were different. And the only things that were different were like where it said counselors and the part of the statutes that we're in, you know, instead it said occupational therapists and their board. So it was like, that's all that was different. And it was, and, and it's even sponsored by the same Senator, right? Same sponsor, mm. same bill, same function. We serve many of the same population. And so we're like, what, what the F happened? Right? Like you would be, you would be a little taken <laughs> back, right? I would be skeptical. Yeah. Yes. And we'd worked very hard. I mean, like this is, and this is after having run back and forth to legislature, like on my days off in between clients, like trying to, trying to get this thing, like trying to like put some CPR into this bill. And so I'm like, that's so interesting. I wonder why this one got lift off. Like this one has legs and ours for some reason got dropped at the 11th hour. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the, the OTs I know, and then they put me in touch with some people in leadership for their organization. And then somebody said, well, you know, none of us really know what's going on. Like our lobbyist is handling it. And I was like, no shit. Oh. Like you guys have a <laughs> lobbyist, you know, and we're all service professionals. Like we, we don't have a ton, We're not like big tobacco or something. We're not like a, you know, or a, or a special interest something, you know, we're not, we're not a pharmaceutical industry. Like we're kind of, it's not like we're rich, right? So right. I was pretty impressed. I was like, we should totally get a budget, you know, side note, you know, get the advocacy committee a, a budget for a lobbyist. But I spoke to their lobbyist, like she called me back and she was like, you know, we've had this locked up since, since the fall, like, you know, like, you know, so I don't know what to tell you pretty much. And so I was like, okay, like I thought we had ours locked up since the fall as well. You know, I wonder what happened. And, you know, we couldn't figure it out. My last Hail Mary pass, right, was I, I thought, well, maybe if these bills are so similar, we can get an amendment and we can just have ours kind of nest nicely into their bill. And like, you know, we're all in like Title 32 or whatever it is. And I sent this stuff back to the interstate compact people and the lawyers. They're great. They had this like really fast turnaround. They draft us this amendment and um, for the bill. And like, you know, I gave it, I found a senator who was willing to do it. She was like, if the original senator is okay with a friendly amendment and like, you know, this thing is pretty much, if it's kosher, like we'll do it. So um, I sent in the amendment and I was like, here, we have a draft for you, silver platter. Like, you know, we, we've cut your steak for you. Like, here it is. And we were so close to getting it in. And then um, we found out that our last ditch effort, because again, I'm, I'm not a lobbyist. I don't know how these things work, I guess. I guess it's not considered germane because our amendment would have applied to a different board, like a different profession under a different board. And so even though it felt super similar, it wasn't seen that way. And so like we kind of ended up losing, you know, which, which is inconvenient, but it's like, we learned our lesson, you know, but then I found out that we still have one tiny possibility, which I doubt will happen at this point because we still don't have a lobbyist, but um, there's something called a striker or a strike everything bill, where essentially if a bill that failed, like didn't work out, they can pretty much resurrect it by throwing the entire contents of an entirely different bill into it. So like if there's a bill that failed, that was like, you're only allowed to grow lemon trees in these zip codes in Phoenix, right? And everyone was like, that's dumb. Like, let's not do that. Um, we could just we could grow our compact in there again, which is to me that that sounds completely that right that you've lost me there, but exactly that's it's so yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So like we can't get our amendment into the bill that the occupational therapists have that's exactly the same 
But yet, if there's some bill about, you know, road work or pollution or earthworms or lemon trees or like hospitals or whatever, we'd probably be able to get it in there. But the fact is, we still don't have a lobbyist. So we're probably regrouping for next year. But but I want to unpack what all of that kind of means, because a lot of people don't know you know, we know that there's bureaucracy and we know that there's all sorts of pork everywhere. But like the fact is, I think people, until you've tried to fight for something that feels so logical and that you literally have a comparison where it was like same sponsor, same bill drafting attorney, same, same content, same, pretty much the same population served, but just different profession. And the only difference is that one has a lobbyist and the other doesn't. It really goes to show you just how little freedom we actually have if you can't pay to play. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I was just about to ask you that. Like, it, how does how does it relate to freedom specifically? And it's sort uh, of like you don't have the freedom to function in the system that we're given, in a sense. It, I feel exactly, like exactly. Yeah. It's like everybody else has a car, and we have a we have a roller skate, you know. And it's really sobering because it's like we sat there and like we worked really hard on this, and there were people that you know, we're really hopeful about this. I mean, I, even some of the staffers at the legislature were hopeful about it. Like one of them confided in me that like she specifically would have wanted to continue seeing her old therapist if it weren't for the fact that the person moved. Right. Um, I had another story from somebody who like their sister is a traveling nurse and, you know, wasn't able to continue her trauma therapy. There's all sorts of stuff if somebody has, you know, a situation where there's a couple who wants to see a counselor and one of them is out of state, like they can come kind of as a guest to the other person's therapy, but they can't actually have couples therapy if one of them's in a state where the person isn't licensed. So that's, there's no, there's wide support and like no opposition to the bill. And that was the only piece of it that was an issue. And so like just the amount of, practical handicap that that organizations have if you don't pay somebody to go fight for you and like even after checking in with some lobbyist friends i have whether from a conservative local think tank or like a really progressive uh, lobbyist who tends to you know fight for a lot of the organizations that you know we tend to see trying to make big changes here like i've spoken to the, i've i've spoken to attorneys that represent the various political parties like everyone was like, yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with this bill. Like, you know, you, I guess, I guess she had a full plate. Right. And it's like, what do you, what do you do? You know? Right. So, so the lobbyists, do you think it's just that they're getting paid and so they have more time to put in or that people know them and they're familiar with them. And so they just work with them more easily or what, you know, well, what do you think is the, and, I mean, honestly, on the ground like, issue? so honestly, like when it comes to trying to lobby for something, you know, we fell on our face a couple of times. Like there are certain things you're not supposed to ask for. It's like, if you don't know the strange customs of a different land, you know, mm-hmm. um, don't ask this person to resurrect a bill that that person killed, or don't ask this person to amend that bill. Cause it'll be seen as hostile. But if you ask this other person, it's okay. Or, you know, just those pieces of it, or these meetings happen at this time on this day of the week. So yeah, insider knowledge would have been great. Um, but I can't imagine that that was all it was because at the end of the day, like we had made some pretty good headway and, you know, if, if you're representing your constituents, like you can't expect everyone who lives in your district or your state to, 
to know all of the ins and outs of everything. It's possible that this lobbyist knew someone. It's possible that they were able to make something else happen behind the scenes for another for another cause that we didn't know about. I, I really don't know. But at the end of the day, the only difference between our, our bill and theirs was that they had a lobbyist and we didn't. And so whatever whatever effectiveness the lobbyist had, you know, it, it would have been... I wish we could crack that code, but I honestly think it's just the fact that they have a lobbyist itself, you know, because we, we really, I mean, we gave it the college try, you know? Right, right. I mean, I, I, it's great to hear you being so diligent working in the legislative arena. And I, and I, I really hope that you have greater success as, as you go with it, because it's one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the sort of grassroots activist type of yeah. actions and yeah. letter writing and phone calling and all those sorts of things. And it's, yeah. and it's good to really be more specific and focus yeah. on particular bills that way. And I think that that's, that is great work and well, I, I hope that it becomes easier somehow. And I'm not sure I know the answer <laughs> well, either. Well, know? see, this is the other thing that we didn't, we didn't get. It's a lot easier to kill a bill than to bring it to life. Um, and mm-hmm. so what you're talking about, Robin, with like the, the phone calls and letters and stuff, like the Arizona Counseling Association has, I mean, we have, it seems like pretty substantial influence when, when a bill seems like it's going to really hurt the people that we serve. We send out notices and like sometimes over a hundred, almost 200 people will like write in and like, you know, pass along this information. Hey, this isn't okay. Like, you know, trust us. Like this is going to be really, really bad. And we've killed bills really easily. Like we, we have a, we have a pretty solid track record with that. And I think other advocates and activists in the area do as well. But the problem is that, you know, killing a bill is a lot easier than trying to get one to have liftoff. And especially when you think you're so close and then it doesn't work when you don't have the resources to like send someone in for 40 hours a week for a couple of weeks to get it done, like, you know, everybody's just burning out. And so I think we learned that lesson too, because, you know, I don't know that we've actually tried to pass legislation before as an organization. It's mostly just trying to, trying to avoid really awful things from happening to really vulnerable communities. Yeah. Well, that is incredible work too. So I'm glad that you got to kill the bills that really were doing harm, you know, Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about some other things that sometimes other vulnerable communities have going that like sometimes from one state to another, we don't know about, or sometimes even within our own states, we, we might not be aware of. And I I don't know if you would agree with this, Robin, like I, I tend to think that legislation and just sort of the way we're governed really tends to benefit the privileged and the typical. So people with power and people who sort of are right in the middle of the bell curve. You know what I mean? I agree. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think that's yeah. sort of a default in, <laughs> right. in our culture. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It's that like kind of like, you know, uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, you know, it's like two wolves and a sheep voting for what, or I guess who is going to be eaten for dinner, you know? <laughs> Um, so like some of the things that we've been seeing, like in other States, just sort of trying to figure out where like vulnerable clients are sort of being, you know, in positions where they don't have people standing up for them or they're kind of stuck. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, I guess I would say must versus may like 
putting together a support system for a community is great, but when you force people into it, it's, it's a problem. So like, for example, there are at least, at least two States I know I recently learned about have these registries for, um, children who, you know, depending on how people identify autistic children, children on the spectrum, whatever, you know, people would, how people would name that. Um, and there's a whole discourse on that as well. But North Dakota and New Jersey are the two I know about. And I think there might be a couple others where um, children and young adults who have a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, they're required to either register or be registered on this, on this government registry. And like, it freaked me out when I heard about that. Like, that's weird, right? That is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like, you know, well, I'm sure somebody thought it was a good idea. They probably were like, oh, well, we don't want to miss giving resources to, you know, any children. But a lot of the resources that are sort of first line we're finding more and more can be really hurtful, you know, like a lot of And time- there's a lot of controversy over how to approach autism. Hugely, hugely. And, you know, the problem with having, you know, children and young adults on a government registry like that, they might, they might be, they might end up and often do end up in interventions that might be populist, popular, well-funded, but not necessarily supportive for long-term health. And so like, for example, one of the things that like autistic children are often put through is something called planned ignoring. So like if a child is doing something crying or, you know, stimming in a way that the the adult in charge doesn't like, they'll ignore the child until the child stops. And behaviorally, you'll see the child stop doing the thing because they want they want, you know, they want some sort of engagement with the adult, right? But over time ultimately like I've worked with people who've had that intervention and other interventions as children who are, you know, when when they were children growing up with with, you know, behavioral interventions for autism. And there's a lot of trauma there. There's attachment injuries. There's the idea that if I don't comply, I'm going to get rejected. If I don't do what's told, like I'm not safe, all of that stuff. And, you know, with these registries, it's like, it kind of pushes people into, into situations where they don't necessarily have a choice. And so, so this type of stuff, I mean, like legislation that pushes these mandates like that, it, 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 it's, it's, it, I've just been learning more and more about it. And I'm just like, just shocked, you know? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I right? don't even know how to respond to it. I, honestly, I don't even train my dogs that way. You know what I mean? Like there's not, and the thing is, I know that, I know that there's a lot of disagreement and discourse around that stuff. But the fact is like, when you have legislation that like, it, it's like may versus must, right? If you have legislation that says like, you know, people may do something sort of, you know, upholding a right, you know, um, you may pursue medical care for, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever. It's different than you must do this. You must do that. Right. And, 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 and what I'm seeing, like a lot of the bills that we're, we've been trying to like shoot down, especially in Arizona are, are more like the must bills. Like, you know, you must not ban conversion therapy, right. Which that was last year. So we talked about that last year. They went the other way this year and they were trying to say, like, they were trying to say that we're not allowed to work with, you know, to support people through like, you know, uh, gender journeys. Right. And that bill, we just, we just recently were able to shut that down. But like, I think yeah, I saw something about that where you, right. you, you like a, a teacher must tell a parent if oh yeah a child so this it's really fucked up, right? yeah 
yeah, I apologize for my language, but this you one you can fucking curse friend. all you want on our show. Thank you. Okay, cool. <laughs> so this is this is one that is really popular in in some states where they have a very polarized legislature. Um, the idea that if a teacher it, or a janitor or a librarian or anybody in a school overhears a child talking about their gender or or something like that, that that they must tell the parent, right? So you've got this situation where if a child is, you know, discussing their gender with someone or, or you know, asking that their friends, you know, choose the, you know, refer to them with the pronoun that feels best or whatever, I think the intention of the bill is to, like, rat it out to the parents because it's, I, I don't know, morally objectionable to the people who find it morally objectionable. But it's like, there's no they just, they just want to do it because it's like this populist thing, but it's like, there's no manual for how to have those conversations. There's no manual to discern whether like a child is being, you know, outed that they're being bullied for something. There's no, there's no risk assessment for what happens if you tell a parent something distressing about their kid and then they lash out on the kid. There's no mandate regarding like providing any kind of resources to the child or the teen or the family. And so it's just this, like, let's just drop this bomb on parents that, you know, doesn't have any context without any resources. And it's a clusterfuck. I mean, it's like, you're sitting there essentially taking these moments for children, which, you know, adolescence doesn't until you're 26, like in the brain, you're taking these moments for children where they're trying to figure out who they are in the world and where their hopes and dreams and their identity might diverge from what's being told to them. And, you know, and a lot of times like children just give each other shit or children, you know, are being bullied or like all of these things happening. And, you know, they want teachers who have no training in this whatsoever to go call parents and be like, you know, your child is saying such and such about themselves, like reckless, right? That's incredibly infuriating, honestly. Right. right? So, so what, what, uh, do you have any way to encapsulate what we should, we non-lobbyists should do about any of this? I guess oh, kill God. bills that are, that suck as yeah. much as you can. Show up for, and, and the thing is the legislature does listen when enough people show up to kill something. And, and you need to remember that like, if you see or you get wind of something your legislature is doing that is really shitty, that's going to hurt people, that's ill thought out and just seems like populist as fuck for no reason, um, figure out the organizations that are leading the efforts against it and just sort of do what they're doing because they've got a plan. And so just like go in and be like, how can I help? You know, and it might not be going to the legislature. It might be like one click politics emails or things like that. The other thing is. And those see- work, you think? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that's, okay. that's part of how we just killed this other bill related to it was, it was, going to ban gender support services for youth in our state um, and even sending people referrals for it. You know, it was like, it was awful. But, but you also have to remember that like people have this tendency to be like, Oh, this party thinks this and that party thinks that well in our legislature and in a lot of legislatures, like the districts are cut so weirdly and so polar that, you know, one party has a stronghold, right? You don't need to go yell at the mountain and try and change everybody's mind in that party. You need to find the people in the dominant party that, you know, actually look at nuance, actually think things through, might be aligned with that party because that's 
the only way they could get elected in that area, or they're there for economic reasons, but the social stuff just really appalls them. There could be any number of reasons. Target your efforts toward them. Don't don't sit there yelling at people who really are never going to listen to you anyway. And at the end of the day, all of this stuff, it doesn't come down to thousands and thousands of people. It comes down to one person on a committee of eight saying no instead of yes to something really dangerous and really stupid. So like, you know, get wise about it, get smart, like, and also like, you know, find the people who are doing the work so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. That is really good concrete advice. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So one of the things that I wanted to ask you is when you were on our show last time, you were talking about really wanting the the left in this case to reclaim the use of terms like patriotism and freedom. Yeah. Is that something that is a thing that we've done? What do you think is um, happening with that? You or know, at least put it this way. I know you're, you're wanting we to We is more. so big. Like we, we is big. We, we is big, I mean, yeah. Like, I guess your, your goal was really that you wanted all people to be able to use those terms. Yes. Yeah. Are we, um, how are we doing with that? Is that a thing well, that's happening? Let's see. Um, and we is big, I know. Yeah, we is so big. I think a little bit. I guess what, what we always notice whenever, you know, there's like a, like a, I guess a regime change, you know, it takes a couple of years, but like, you know, whichever, whichever people's party is in charge tend to feel a little bit more, at ease using terms like patriotism and pride in our nation and stuff like that. And then the side that I guess proverbially, like I'll use quotes like lost has all of those talking points about take this back, take that back, reclaim, like capture the flag or football. And it's like, you know, I I think it's a pattern that it's going to kind of go on forever, but I'd like to see, I mean, and then, and then of course, like we've had, like, have we had two Olympics? Like we're since the last time, I was on, I think we had like this, the summer one. And uh, it's then the, weird. They happened because of the delay yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. They seem to be really close in time. Yeah. Oh, I think Olympics tend to rally people too. And just like that feel good stuff. At least I've seen it a little bit. You know, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think people have been, do you think people have been a little freer with their language? I see uh, attempts at it. I don't know that it's, I think it feels very yeah. deliberate to me. It doesn't feel natural okay. yet. I like like contrived kind of a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. cuz it's scary to to use terms that have been the meaning of which has been very different or or at least the nuance of which has become very different than what you yourself mean yeah so that to use that word you have to be like but i mean it like this not like that it's like there's always some yeah. kind of weird caveat yeah you so have that I don't a disclaimer know that we're there yet. yeah <laughs> exactly which is which is really unfortunate because you know, words shouldn't have such a weight to them. They shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't have to defend your, you know, appreciation for or embrace of an idea just because like it, it unfortunately got tethered to a lot of other crappy ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast too. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but it's yeah. really, it's really true. Absolutely. Yeah. So we need to wrap up. I just wanted to ask you, I was really curious in the intro, you mentioned that you're doing crafts. So I was wondering what you yeah. are doing while you're planning. <laughs> oh, for sure. Major political action yeah. <laughs> and, so that's, and, and uh, advocacy. 
Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing. Um, a lot of us who do this advocacy and activism work, like we tend to spin out and get exhausted, like, you know, kind of burning bright and then burning out. And so a couple of colleagues and I, at least within the, you know, counseling and other professions, um, a psychologist friend and I have started a craft and connect night. So it's like once a month, it's pretty much our excuse to just like sit down with like paint and like rhinestones and just random stuff and just like kind of talk about where we're at, like check in with each other. And there's not really a schedule where it's not super formal. It's not like, it's not therapy, therapy for therapists. And it's not like, you know, it's not supervision. It's just like, Hey, show up this night of the month and, you know, chip in for supplies if you can, but if not, no worries. And let's just sit here and make stuff, you know, and talk about what's on our mind because, Ultimately, when we're so busy fighting for big things, we we can lose touch of what we need and what each other needs. And so, you know, that kind of keeps us grounded. And it's been going a couple months now. I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's been it's been a nice shift. And I think there's another group starting in the West Valley coming up soon, too. So here in Arizona. That sounds great. Sounds yeah. like a, a great way to decompress. <laughs> totally. Totally. So thank you so much. It's been great talking with you and it's been great to have you back. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. I'd, I'd love to come back anytime. And so, so great getting a chance to catch up. You got questions. We got answers. And today's question is from Kristen Houseconnect. And she asks, what is your favorite color? And why? The and why kind of trips me up. <laughs> that is interesting. What uh, do you? What's your answer to this one? Oh gosh, I uh, I don't know that I have a favorite color. I a lot of my house is blue, but I also really like purple. I don't know. I think. You see, this is like, this is the Monty Python, you know, what is your favorite color? Blue, no yellow. Ah, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That was from a scene from uh, Holy Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right, right. Don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I will go with blue. I've had blue as my favorite color for most of my life. And I think it's because I feel relaxed in it when i'm i mean i'm if you if you, you can't see what because this is radio or podcast dio um <laughs> podcast dio podcast dio um <laughs> but my room my office is has a really dark blue and i actually painted the outside of the house dark blue uh and purple the purple is the doors and the trim but it's a calming color and i like it for that reason to contrast with, I had a, a room in, in my pro, uh, two houses ago that had a very deep red as the base color. And it was really, it wasn't even the walls. It was like the furniture, like the couch and the rug and, and the trim was red. And I think the doors are red too to match. But every fight I had with my ex in that house started in that room. Hmm. So I, I think the red color had something to do with that. It so literally um, seeing red made you well. It, like. It's an arousing color, and you know I had studied color 
at psycho the psychology of color, you know, and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. So, you know, that was uh that was an interesting thing. And I never never will have a red room again. So <laughs> for that reason. Interesting. Um, yeah, so blue. And you know, because okay. it's pretty. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I my my favorite color forever has always been purple. And why? I I don't know. I mean people say it's it's like a royal color. Some people say it's like a deeply spiritual color. If you're, if you're like into like the chakra system or whatever, I, I I don't know. It's just it's always been comforting and wonderful, and I just love it. And interestingly, though, I would say that teal has really started to equal it or close hmm. to in recent okay. years. So I really love both of those, and I don't know why. And it's interesting to feel that shift. That's I enjoy cool. both of those colors as well. And and I'm going to be the one to say we when we were all in in a coven together with uh, us and other a whole bunch of other people, one of our coven mates got married and we did not discuss our wardrobe with each other ahead of time. I remember this picture you're talking about <laughs> in purple and teal. All That's- of us, the entire coven. So I, we looked really great as a group <laughs> that is that is such a great photo i oh my gosh i love that um, wow we should find, i should dig that up and put that on the website for this episode but <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean if people are i don't know i guess everyone was comfortable with that i, I think in that photo um, but, but anyway yeah but, but it was it was really impressive that we all gravitated to those two colors right that was neat Oh man, but but yeah, and interestingly, I have a, a, a red in my kitchen, so I'm going to be paying attention now to see if I get into fights in the kitchen. <laughs> well, I don't think so. But orange we'll is supposed to um, enhance your appetite, and green is supposed to suppress it. Right. Yeah, I've thought about that too. Like, make it more chill, so I'm like relaxed about food stuff. But yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, I like how it looks, but it's going to change anyway, because I need to change everything in the house, because <laughs> that's what I do. But anyway, yeah, purple. So, okay, <laughs> there you go. I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, or Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And on Discord and in the subgenius world, if you're in that weirdness uh, <laughs> you can uh, find me at, as andrew genus and i'm wendy sheridan and you can find me on facebook and instagram at wendy cards on twitter at wendy designs and on etsy at wendy cards with a z and on discord i'm there as voxelman but i'm <laughs> i haven't You're not there that much, discord right? like in two months so <laughs> but remember you can always reach out to us on social media at leftscape Send us your questions and we might answer it on an upcoming show. So until next time, be well, start small, and keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening.